DJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own you and 5 which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. All right, welcome back to everybody, to uh, our friends who listen to us, and hopefully got some new folks listening to us. Hope everybody's been well. Hello, everybody. uh, so we um, we we got a guest on what's going that, that's with us tonight. She is uh, a first uh, at Durham PD, a many of many firsts there. My mentor to help me get through the Public Safety Academy and held my hand through that. So we're going to talk to her. her. Name is Glenda Beard. But before we get started, just like we normally do, I want to just let my co-host say hey. Uh, take a few minutes to say hey, and then we'll get started into the conversation. So Harmony, you're up first. How are you? Hey. <laughs> That's a finger point for me. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm good. I'm really excited to talk to Miss Glenda. You have been like a mentor to me. And so I am excited to get to pick the brain of your mentor. I don't know. To me, it kind of feels like three generations of people um, that are, you know what I mean, related in this sense, but also unrelated. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just really interested um, to hear Miss Glenda's perspective um, more about her background, because from what you said, it's pretty impressive and groundbreaking the things that she did at the Durham Police Department. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm super excited for this conversation. Cool, thanks. And and Harmony, tell her. And when we get to this at some point, just let her know a little bit about your background and your family, because she because she's she's a Dermite, so she may know um, some of your folks up in. Uh, Roxborough and some of the stuff, you know. Roxborough, honey, don't do that. We are from Granville County. Granville County. Also, why did I think Roxborough? Oh, because of the incident. Because of the incident, right? That's why I said that. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I also work in Roxborough, so maybe that's why. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right, Andrew. What's up, my man? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm good. Good to be back and to see y'all's faces and to hear y'all's voices. Um, I'm also excited to talk to Miss Glenda and get to pick her brain about some things. So it was nice to meet her and nice to be here. Cool. All right. Thanks. So we're going to have a little conversation with Miss Glenda Beard. Uh, like I said in the beginning, she is a mentor and she's also um, one of the first of many black females that kicked open some doors, which allowed me to come in and I followed in behind her. And she, I'll let her talk a little bit about her beginnings with the Durham Police Department. But one of the reasons I wanted her here and I, and when I asked her to join us, uh, it, it was kind of selfish because she and I haven't really talked in a while, but I also wanted to have have this so I can this is kind of like a history. You know, we'll, I'll have this forever and, and be able to, you know, people can come back and listen to this. And then, like I said, personally, for me, just to be have this moment to be able to publicly also just thank her for what she did for me and a lot of other black women who came in behind her. Uh, she she set the stage for us. She. um was very supportive and I, I've already told him uh, major uh, she, she retired as a major, but I told him one of the things that those of us who know uh, major beard or Glenda beard is that she, 
we also called her Honey Child because she always would say Honey oh, Child. Yeah. <laughs> She'd always say, Oh, honey yeah. Child. And yeah. so, um, so we're going to be talking about one of the reasons besides you know, her being supportive of my career and, and helping me out was where she, she worked a lot with juveniles and what we're experiencing across this country now with black bodies and law enforcement. I kind of wanted to hear from somebody that was on the ground early on to figure out and just talk about has anything really changed as far as how black youth are? What is it that we either didn't do back then still need to do that we still are not doing and need to do and how that, what that looks like now. So major beard, thank you for saying yes. And uh, so go ahead and give us a little bit of history. Like when you start about your family and all that kind of stuff, the floor is yours. Well, all right. Thank you. My friend. (laughs) First of all, I like to say BJ is like a daughter to me and that's the way I looked at her when she came on to the police department. So, you know, with daughters, we have to make sure they are in the right place at the right time. But I joined Durham police department back in 1974. That's when I got out of the rookie Academy. And when I joined Durham Police Department, there were no other women that would that was in a patrol car working as a line officer. And it was a young lady, a white female, that joined with me. She did not like it, so she quit. So I was the only one there. It took me nine months to get a uniform because they did not think that I would stay. So I rode that uniform, that uniform patrol car without a uniform. But I had to have someone with me with the uniform because I didn't have one. Wow. Wow. Coming up in the, uh, joining the police department, first of all, I was a school teacher. Mm. I taught middle school. And Mm -hmm. the boys, the young men that I worked with in middle school, I saw some things that I thought that, you know, I would love to do and work with them. But being a teacher, you were constrained to certain rules and guidelines. You were in the classroom with them. And that's mainly the time that you spent with them was when they were in the classroom. I saw some things happening with them that I wanted to really um, deal with and work with, but I could not do that as a school teacher. So I left the school with intentions of becoming a youth officer with mm-hmm. Durham Police Department. Right. Okay. But I joined, and as time went on in the uh, training, uh, when I graduated from training, they said, you have to spend time in the field. So that's how I went from training to a police squad car. Okay. But, you know, I was not going to let that um, deter me, so I stayed. And <laughs> about three years later, I did join the Durham Police Department Youth Division. And I worked in that division for 10 years. 
and I do not regret not one moment in working in it. And some kids who still reside in Durham, when I see them, I don't know them, and they recognize me, wow. and they tell me, I will, I will never forget you. Wow. And, and it's, 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 um, it's a job that I, I put a lot into. And especially when my children got to be in middle school and high school, I really saw some of the things that were needed. But we have to understand today. Now, I'm an old woman. <laughs> that life for children, that, that, that need that they have is still there yes. for all children. Mm-hmm. It just because we have moved from the 19th century to the 21st century, it doesn't. They are still children, and they still have that need. And I used to tell uh, the officers that worked in the youth division, some of, especially some of them, the male um, workers would say, "Well, we we can't." getting the thing done at that house. Their house is crowded or junky. And, and I used to tell all of them, everybody don't live alike. Everybody right. doesn't play furniture alike. Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't go to the same place that you may go to in your house to have supper. Mm-hmm. I said, but you respect that place because that's their house. That's right. And you do that because you owe that to them. And and a lot of things that I talked about with the officers that worked in the youth division, it may not have been uh, law enforcement connected, but it was people connected. And if you know how to talk and work with people, Mm -hmm. it makes your job and make what you do a lot easier. So I, I enjoyed my time there. Um, there. I had good days and bad days. Um, competing for positions, it was not pretty. But it didn't bother me. Moving into certain positions, and I'm, I'm going to say this real quick. I was a, When I was a captain there, before I got promoted to major, I got assigned to the East Durham district. BJ, you know what the East Durham district was like yes, in, ma'am. The, in the 80s. Yes, ma'am. I was assigned captain in the East Durham district. I went to everybody that I knew or someone introduced me to in that district to let them know who I was. And I wanted to know what they wanted in their community. It came a time, this is when Trevor Hampton was our chief, mm-hmm. that we had at public housing. I went to the meeting, and we were out of the meeting like 30 minutes, and the chief called on the radio and said, 1025, his office, ASAP. I did that. I thought it was work-related. When I got to his office, he said, what kind of car are you driving? And I said, a blue Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. He asked me what model it was, and it was an old model. He said, 
I need you to go to the garage right now and pick up your new car. I said, I did not order a new car. He said, you didn't order a new car, but I ordered a new car. <laughs> right. I right. found out that day that all of those little old women watched all of us come into the parking lot. The captains and the um, lieutenants and the uh, majors and, you know, the chiefs and everyone, they watched us come into the parking lot. And after the meeting was over and everyone was leaving, these two little ladies stopped him. They lived in Odom Towers. Wow. They stopped him and, and asked him, why is she driving the oldest, ugliest car out here on the lot? And he didn't have an explanation. Wow. So his explanation was to call me in and send me to get a car. And that's what I always told people. If you work with your community and they know you, they're going to stand up for you, no matter what it is. That's true. And, that, and, That's and I learned, I learned that through working with children. If yeah. you let children know care and you tell them what they need to do and what's right, they may not do it immediately, but they're listening. Yes. Yes. Wow. And every, every one of us need to touch when we see them, to say, first of all, give them good vibes, but we need to let them know, you know, if you are wrong, if you are doing something that ain't right, let them know it. Don't, don't encourage it. Right. But that's our future. Yes, As ma'am. I said, I'm an old lady. I'm, an old lady. I'm, 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 I'm going downhill. And that is our future. We need them to be where we are today. Yes. When they get our age, we need them to be right where we are. Yeah. So um, I won't preach anymore, uh, BJ. I'll let you talk. <laughs> no, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it just, it just, it just kind of reiterates everything that we've been talking about before. And actually on our last show, we talked about communications. And how we communicate. Uh, Harmony talked about it was an incident in uh, Fuquay and how the officer interacted with the young man. You know, that's going to have a powerful impact on that young man for the rest of his life. Simply because the officer could, could have done something different, communicated something different, uh, how he communicated to the to the young man. So we so communication is key. I mean, Harmony, you, you, you got anything? Um, I mean, <laughs> It's not often that I'm at a loss for words, but I feel like there's not really much else that I can add to what what she said. Again, one thing that I love about these shows is that it makes me feel so proud to be black, um, and then being able to to be working in community with another strong black woman and to you know talk from what you come from for me is so impressive. I can't imagine uh, being a woman of color really, really doing community policing before it was a thing during the crack era that was, you know, disproportionately affecting black and brown folks in East Durham. Um, I've heard stories about how everybody's parents in East Durham, at least one of them, of the, of the pair, somebody was doing uh, crack. So I just, I don't know, to, to hear that you had such tenacity uh, and that you were so resilient and adamant about this was where you were called to be and that, you know, if they didn't make the table for you, you were going to create it yourself. Um, and you, I don't know, you are Black history. I, you know, felt so strongly when you were speaking. Um, 
And, mm-hmm. and I think it's something to be said about people whose, whose spirits that you can just feel um, and you feel familiar. So when you said that people say that, you know, they remember you, I think they remember what home and what caring felt like. Um, and I hope that, you know, I can be that one day to somebody that needs it because I can only imagine how many lives you have impacted and transformed just by being you. Well, you know, Harmony, one of the things that, that um, when I first joined the police department, they called me a radical. Now, <laughs> I, I went to North Carolina Central University. That was my first university. <laughs> While I was there, yes, ma'am, I marched in civil rights marches. When Martin Luther King was assassinated, one of the older black officers that was there, he said, the chief told us to stop you all and don't let you off the campus. He said, but when we saw you all come up out of that circle and come up, up, come up that hill, there was no way we could stop you. Sure, they had fire hoses. They had nightsticks. They called us names, but we kept marching. We marched all the way. And we sang and we listened to the words that our leaders said to us when we gathered there. We were very obedient when he said it's time to go. We went back to North Carolina Central University campus. If I saw something that was wrong that happened to somebody, yes, I spoke up. One of the officers there said, yeah, beard is like a bad refrigerator. She don't keep stuff. And I said, no, if it's wrong, it should be told. But that was the way I was brought up in my life with my family. You told the truth. You didn't stand by and watch wrong. That's not what you do. And a lot of people have the impression that if you keep your mouth shut, you're better off. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They also, uh, they called me a, a radical as well. Uh, so when you said that, it definitely resonated. That's why you heard BJ laugh. She affectionately uh, refers to me as a radical. I say that I'm a believer in rad- radical love and kindness. Um, I think that that's what I'm radical about. And in order to be that, I think, like you said, you have to, you got to hold people accountable. Um, you know, you got to hold feet to fire. And um, you that's that's a hard thing to do. You know what I mean? Not only were you a woman of color, you were a woman of color in the in the mid seventies. So you know, calling out injustices isn't the same as me. You know, speaking to my employer where we have um, diversity quotas that we meet for hiring. I mean, that's that's completely different. Um, so I don't know. I just feel so encouraged. Um, and like you said, like this is a moment in time, another moment in time where we have to decide what side of history do we want to be on. Do we want to be on the side of passivity or do we want to be on the side of, of advocating for justice even when it's tough? Yeah. When, when um, you, you look at um, what's going on today, the people that um, the po- politics, um, political world and the marches, I told one, um, well, it was uh, several people. They were like, talking about some of the things that some of the younger people were doing when they were marching in the marches back during the summer, Black Lives Matter. And I told them, those that you know, you just need to talk to them. 
but their march and their sound is not going to be like your sound. That's right. So you just you have to uh, talk to them and understand where they're going and what they're saying. But what they do today, it's not going to be as the picturesque thing that you had when you were 21. <laughs> that's right. It changes. That's right. It changes. And that's what you try to let them know. Andrew, do you have anything? Um, something that she said to me that was very important was um, about how the students who she had worked with previously still come up to her and tell her about the um, the point that she made in their lives. And I think that's very important that um, like you give yourself kudos for the, the amount of work that you did um, in the past and that you're still currently doing um, because there's students who like me are young and are um have mentors who who have watched you work, um, who have watched the things that you're doing. They're following behind your footsteps as well too. So I'm very appreciative of the work that you're you have done and you're doing. Um, because it's like those students who you have taught are teaching my generation. Um, so the things that um you've been able to learn, learn and pass down are still being trickled down. Um, so I'm just very appreciative of that. Cool. You know, and young man, one of the things that I like to tell young people, no matter. How far you go, how open the door is with the opportunities for you. If you go and you don't bring someone with you so that when you leave, someone will be ready to take your place, what progress have you made? Right. That's right. That's and each, each young person needs to think about that, especially all of our gurus who are out in the world today, you know, that are working and climbing. But what good is it for you to climb and you look back and there's nobody behind you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. Major, I want to talk about, I mean, I think you've already hit on it about how we communicate. I mean, as far as I, I really appreciate you saying about when officers go in and go into a house and they look at it or turn their nose up, and, you know, and, and it's not obviously it don't look like their house. And I'm trying to kind of trying to wonder, you know, what what is what's what's the same and what's different? What 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 is the same or what is different between how officers and black bodies are now? What, what's missing or is it is it the same because we still have youth that are still doing stuff and you know what role is it that law enforcement either is not paying not doing correctly now or is there anything that that law enforcement could do differently or are we still missing something that that is just not you know because the thing is now it's not really our role because there are other issues i mean there's mental health substance abuse lack of education you know job you know homelessness all of those things those those are societal things um, that they've got at the doorstep of law enforcement, which was at the doorstep of law enforcement back then. So has it really, th- those same, those social issues were back then are still the social issues now. And what, what role do you think law enforcement either did not play and should not have played or versus what's going on now with those still same, those same issues? What do you think? Well, I tell you, BJ, I don't know what role they're playing. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, yeah. because uh, the way that I see it right now, they the only time they go to your house is when they're busting in it for something. <laughs> I don't I don't see I don't see law enforcement 
stopping and walking up and down the street and talking to people in a community. Right. I haven't seen an officer in my community. I can't tell you when. Right. And if they come, you know, they don't stop. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they're doing right now because I can't see what they're doing right now. I can see the bad. I can see, and I'll be honest with you, the way that things are right now, I don't think they want to engage with us. Mm. I think that the, I think that the mindset is to stay as far back as you can, because if you hit them, you're going to be in trouble. And that's the first thing that, that comes to their mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know what their contact is as it relates to young people. I have not heard of any, uh, youth, uh, bound programs that you know that all of the programs that we used to um yeah. try to offer all of the children of communities mm -hmm. i don't hear of that right i don't see it and we we become i think that at times people become comfortable in their setting and their setting is their office <laughs> and i don't see i don't see the contact Mm -hmm. I don't see the, uh, I don't see that. I don't see uh, law enforcement now having a passion or a need to see that our children get what they need and talk with them and try to encourage them. I, I, I haven't seen that lately. I, I, I really haven't. It's, and, and one of the things that, that I always say, young people, they are our future because we, the old people, we are the history. The young people are the future. They are what is going to be representing us 10 years from now. Yeah. But BJ, I'm not, I'm not seeing that encouragement. I'm not seeing that contact. I just don't see that right now between law enforcement and black people, period. Yeah. yeah. That speaks volumes, I think, to hear that coming from you. That's, wow. Yeah, and, and I kind of, I, I agree with her. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, because I know that when we were there, there was a lot of on the ground, being in the community, walking around, being visible. And, I, and I'm not real sure if that is anything that necessarily can't be done today you know get out of the car oh, get, yeah I, I believe that too you know and then what mm -hmm. what what's different uh, major is that you know listen to some of these uh organizations and what they have to you know we we would come out to these community meetings and be working on the weekends and all this kind of stuff and now that's actually part of a career track you know if you want to yes. if, if you want to go above sergeant or whatever uh you have to do xyz and basically they all some i've heard i knew one organization they they actually said that they would you know they want the officers to go to community meetings right but they don't yeah they don't want to give the officer any overtime because they want to see if the officer is committed so if you if you want to go and be involved and do volunteer work i mean the the, the department is saying to be on this track to show us that you want to do this, you're going to do this and we're not going to pay you for it. So they're, they're actually, and I guess in a way that, because if you want to do it and you're not getting paid for it, you kind of really want to do it. 
And, and so that's that's kind of the way that they're getting folks to some officers to get out here and do that when that wasn't really an issue for us. I mean, you know, the our group that we was there when we, we were there. Yeah, we you know, we just we came out. Yeah, we, we came out because we like hanging out. You know, we didn't mind working yeah. all you know, weekends and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a different and it's a whole different mentality. It's a, it's, it's a yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear you. BJ. BJ, I don't want any of your guests to take this the wrong way. <laughs> but they are scared of us. They are afraid of us. Mm-hmm. And if you are afraid of something or someone, you keep your distance. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't hear Harmony go, amen, because she just got through. I was, on <laughs> I was on mute, but I did go, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Harmony just got through, on, like I said, on the last show, talked about black bodies being seen as what did you say? Harmony, black bodies, you know, are seen as uh, criminal, criminal. Yeah. And uh, being bad, you know, and so that's just. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you, you all up in Harmony's amen corner. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's the truth. It is what it is. But they are. The white officers are afraid of us. But, you know, there was one thing when I joined law enforcement. You had to live in the county where you worked in the state of North Carolina. Mm. Well, see, that's not true now. No. Very few people, very few officers who work at Durham Police Department live in Durham. They probably can't afford the, it. Yep, the majority of them live outside of Durham, like Creedmoor and uh, uh, Roxborough and other places, Franklinton. They do not live in Durham. So you don't have that connection that you would have if you were a resident here. What they have is a job. You work it nine to five, and when you finish, you leave it. Yeah. And you don't see anything else. Yeah. And then the, the other part of that, too, is trying to figure out how to recruit local. I mean, we it, it's also difficult to try to get uh, black folks, black youth don't see this as an opportunity. I mean, it's a good job. It's a good paying job. But, 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 you know, but, but if you live, you know, trying to recruit locally, it's difficult. And but you're right. I mean, that's also going to be about the cost of living in Durham is, is yeah, to the point. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. But, you know, it's it's not cheap. Those condos that you all see downtown on Main Street and yeah. around the block of it and stuff, it it's uh it's not cheap. That what two hundred and fifty thousand dollars? I went with my niece over on Ninth Street oh to God. look at a condo. It wasn't even nine hundred feet. Uh, nine. It was like <laughs> nine hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And then, you know what, Glenn, if we're going to go down that, you're, but, you know, I'm looking at these houses over here on Dowd Street. Those, you know, where we used to work in East Durham, we're talking $500,000 oh, houses over white, here. Yeah. White folks took that over. They bought all of that property, just like they did in Walltown. Mm-hmm. And then they call it Old East Durham. Where is the New East Durham? <laughs> the, the, it Street and Owen Street is the, the Old East it's Durham. East Durham. Yeah, it is East Durham. They are buying up all of that property. They have a they have a um apartment complex um that right now that they are saying that needs a lot of work. 
and they had the lady on the news and she was a white lady. And she said, they told us that we would have to move for them to remodel and mm. fix these apartments. But there is no guarantee that we will be coming back in. Wow. Because they're not going to be low rent apartments anymore. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. So, you know, I just, like I said, I just kind of want to, you know, get your input on to, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I think I know you, how you're going to answer this. So, because you've probably, you've answered it all the way through the, through what you've been saying, but how can we make the, make it more, make law enforcement or the judicial system more compassionate? I mean, what, 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 you know, if you could, if you had your magic wand and you said, this is what we can do to make this system more compassionate, what, what would that be? Well, we have to look at, um, you just can't put a person behind bars and just let them exercise and eat and socialize. Mm-hmm. There has to be, if, if you're there, there has to be a, a, a point where someone say, you're going to attend this class for two hours. You're going to do this. There's none of that anymore. Mm-hmm. There has to be, I don't think that the penal system is planning for inmates anymore. They're just taking them in. But it, it has to be more than just making time. Yeah. It, there's something else. And I, and, and, I, and I truly believe that if it wasn't a mass number of black males, something else would be in place. Mm-hmm. But black males, and, and, and this, is, this is really uh, one of the problems that our black males have. Once you enter the criminal justice system, you spend time there. When you come out, you don't know what to do. You don't, you don't have that. A lot of them don't have that support to say, you got to, we're going to put you over here to work. We're going to, you're going to stay right here in this place. You, you can't be with the, the guys anymore. You got to work eight to five. They end up going back in less than six months. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have a, they don't have a trail to follow. They yeah. really don't. Yeah. They, they 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 go in and they come out. It's like a revolving door. Yeah. And once you're in the system, they keep revolving. And I don't see lawyers and I don't see criminal justice people up getting involved in say per se programs. Mm-hmm. Because you, 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 you just can't spend all day with T V and weights. And music, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the the other thing is that I, there are programs in there. I think what 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 I hear that they have stuff and they offer because I I did a um, I was an exhibitor at a corrections conference, and this black female, mm-hmm. she was uh, she worked in in the corrections facility. And she said she and she would talk to some of the men there and she's like, look, I leave work and I got to go. She's trying to get her degree or finish, get another degree or something. She was saying. And she said, I have to leave Mm -hmm. work and go drive to wherever she's got to drive. I'm paying for it. She said, all y'all got to do is get out the bed and walk across the yard. And she said they. Some of the stuff is there. 
but the empathy and the unwillingness to participate is also the issue. There's no support system to say, come on, you know, BJ, I know you're in here, but we need you to do this. You know, should that be mandatory? You know, that if you're going to be here, then we, we, you know, if you don't have your GED, we want to get that or we get you two years, something, but you're going to, you're going to learn something while you're here. Like you said, you're just not going to sit and not do something. You know, I don't know what, yeah. And, and, and but, yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether that could be something that may be legal because if that's like, you know, making them do something, but if it's something that's going to make them be, be you beneficial. Don't have to to- make them do it. No, BJ, you don't have to make them do it. There are things that you can put in place that they look at and they say, oh, yeah, I got to go here because I want this. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it something they want to do. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, yeah. So, so, so my last, what do you say, Harmony? Go ahead. I was just going to say that that goes back into the previous show when I was talking about restorative justice. I think one of the interesting things that you hear from um, families of victims of homicide is that even when the trial is over, the person has been sentenced, that there still doesn't feel like there is a sense of closure um, or a sense that justice has really been served because their their loved one is no longer here. And I think that that's why it's really important to, to think about justice a little bit differently. We've been taught that justice is essentially punishment for a crime, um, but then we're not letting the people who have been affected by this crime really have any type of say or input into what this punishment is. Does that make sense? And I just feel like when we give them the opportunity to, to, or the permission even to think more creatively than just how do I punish somebody by making them as miserable as possible, they can actually start to think of ways in which there can be some type of reconciliation and restoration. Not to say that anything is ever going to be fixed or the same, but perhaps if we were more creative in thinking about how we address and deal with one another, there might be a more, um, I guess, general sense of, of closure or um, or justice. Because I, I, I just feel like that's something that from, from my perspective and what I've heard from people is that they're you know, once that's done, it's done, but everything is just as it was before the person was convicted. Mm-hmm. Jail is jail. <laughs> and you know what? Oh, <laughs> if you had a, if you had several <laughs> inmates and you failed one of them, you are going, of a judge, you know, if, if you're looking at the, the bright side, you know, that family, you're going to fix that wife are you going to fix that mother you a mechanic you're going to fix their car and make sure it runs for a whole year mm-hmm. and then we'll look at your center look at what 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 where you are or you can say their children sons you will cut their hair free for a year there are mm-hmm. things that you can put in place that bring people closer to the to their own hearts Mm. But just to say jail, jail is jail. And they'll tell you right quick, I don't mind going to jail. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, for some people, it is a a much better alternative than, you know, their reality. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Andrew, you got anything? I was thinking about the things she said about black males specifically. Um, And I was just wondering, did when you all did work in community work, um, when y'all were both serving on the um, on the force together, did you all do anything specifically for black males that were targeted specific towards that demographic? Yes, we. I, I would um, if 
I would ask them, what do you need? What, what is it that's keeping you from growing within yourself? Mm. And then I would tell them, let me, let me connect you with someone who has a program or something that will help you with that. I can't do for you what you need if you don't tell me where you are, what's going on. And I look at and talk to you and find out what it is that you truly need. Mm-hmm. And that was what I believe that I had to do when I was working in youth services. Mm-hmm. I had to talk to them to find out why are you doing what you're doing? What is it that makes you do what you do? And you, you, you have to, because I found out in, in, when I was teaching middle school and one of the young men, I, I, I had a, uh, uh, one man, young man to do something and I called him up and I did it. And uh, then it was, a, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with the students in my class. And he said, Miss Bell, you know, you don't, it ain't good to discuss. And I was like, tell me what you're talking about. And he explained it to me. And from that point on, if I had issues with the student, I would give them a note to give their parents. And I would call their parents. I, they would, their parent would call me and I would talk to them on the phone and I would tell them, I'm not going to say anything to your child in class because I don't want them to think that I'm saying something so other kids can say something about them or whatever. Right. I said, because all of them are important to me. Yeah. I said, but I need you and your child to meet with me. And I used to tell some of the young men, I, I work here because I need a job. I need to eat and I need to pay for somewhere to live. I said, you don't <laughs> have to do that. You live with your mom and daddy. I said, your mom and daddy take care of your light bill take care of your food, your clothes. I said, I don't have that luxury. I said, so you have to work with me so I can continue to work my job. And they would laugh and stuff, but they understood. Right. But right. there are things that, things that you need to find out from the, the, the uh, people that you work with so that you won't become a problem to them, that you will continue to be help to them. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that was important for me and working with children. I wanted to know. Right. Right. And you know what? I I guess that's a new way of saying, you know, got to meet people where they are. I mean, always. Yes. Because that's basically you got to figure out what, you know, where they are and, and find mm-hmm. out, like you said, why, why are you doing what you do? And then we can figure yes. out how to help you from there. Yeah. All right. I got the last question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I got a last, last question. question. Last question for you. So you have made it through. Thank you for, for sharing your time with us. But one of the things I want, you've made it through 2020. We all have, you know, blessfully. So now that you have survived 2020, tell me who, who we know who you are, but who, who do you think you become having lived and survived 2020? Who's Glenda now that she's, she's survived 2020? I tell you, 2020 was something and it's still something. <laughs> but, um, but you know what? I look at myself and I, I say, what progress have you made that made you better and that made you 
more helpful mm. and where you need to be helpful. Well, you know, as I as I look at myself and I say, have you checked yourself each day? And and everybody laugh at me because when they say, how are you doing? I say, I'm present. And I am. And I, I and that's a good thing for me to be present. But I look at the progress that I've made in life in general. I look at progress that I've made in my Christian walk. Mm. And if you haven't had any rain in your life, wait a while. <laughs> I have had a number of deaths since in the last past six months. Oh, wow. And it makes you realize, you know, everything is not forever. Though some we've lost, we did not think that we were going to lose them at the time in this time, but we lost them. Mm. So I've learned to be patient. I've learned to try to be more of a listener mm. before I set my tracks out to help wherever I'm going. Mm. I've learned to be a giver. And I have a 90-year-old mom that I take care of every day. So patience and prayer is a major part of my life. Because she will put you through it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you have not worked a 90-year-old every day, you don't know what I know. (laughs) <laughs> but wow. I have children. My oldest grandchild is 20 years old in college. My youngest grandchild is 12 months old. Hmm. And I try to keep them, Let their, if their parents need to work, they need to go to meetings or whatever, I keep them whenever I can. But I just try to do what I can, when I can, with a joyous heart, BJ. Amen. Amen. Wow. I, I think we should just close on that. What y'all think? <laughs> I, I agree. There's nothing else to be said. Yeah, you're talking about let, let, she can drop the mic. You can drop the mic on that one. That's for sure. Miss <laughs> Glenda, please say drop mic drop. Just be just say mic drop. That way we can put it in the show. All right, girl. Mic drop. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> perfect. Uh, perfect. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Major. Oh, it was a pleasure for joining us and dropping the wisdom, giving us some history, and just you know, just kind of reaffirming for me the lessons that you taught me. Um, how valuable they were in my work with law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, that it that really is about the people. You know, seeing where they are and and making sure that we can be as uplifting uh, as as we can. I think one of the things that because of the guidance that I had from you and others who were there when I was there was that uh, I think one of well, I just also just like to say that you were able to and you taught me and some a lot of officers that if we do what we're supposed to do, uh, people see be, see us and not they don't necessarily see the uniform. They see Glenda. That's it's, right. They see. Oh, yeah. And so you helped me with that. So I so I appreciate it. And uh, since you did the mic drop, I think we're just going to go ahead and end with the mic drop. Say it one more time for us. Glenda. Say it, mic drop. 
Mic drop. Love you. <laughs> Stay well. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Peace. <laughs> Bye-bye. Peace.